And welcome back to Bar Down Breakdown. I'm your host, Mikey Ryan, live from the Hive, joined by my boy, Uncle Tommy V, from the land of Disney. Tom, what's good, brother? Uncle? Why'd you call me Uncle? Oh, don't fucking play that. (laughs) Well, I guess guess we can uh, officially announce it. Um, my wife and I are pregnant and, uh, we're expecting a little one in October. So, uh, it would have been our opening weekend hockey baby, but, uh, who knows when hockey's going to start back up, but, uh, it's, uh, exciting times and I have all the time in the world to kind of, uh, prepare for it and get like a nursery and all that jazz set up. So, uh. I'll be a busy boy pretty soon. For sure. Man, you, you got you to gotta be over the moon. Congratulations to you and Caitlin. Um, it's a long time coming, man. It's a long time coming. I mean, like, for the longest time, it was just, you know, you, you Caitlin, and, and Rufio, you know, just holding it down. So very excited for the two of you. Well, the three of you, because obviously this is Rufio's child as well. So I'm, like, so excited to see how he reacts because he is so spoiled that he might, like, <laughs> get resentful and be angry that like yeah. the baby's going to get some attention from him, but mm-hmm. I can also well, that, see him just like being a total mush. You have a pet before you have a child, you know, I mean, your pet is essentially your child. So, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's apparent with, you know, our, our, our buddy, Danny, it was apparent with, uh, you know, our, our buddy, Tom, you know, it's just like, you know, at first the, the pet doesn't really understand who this new human is and why it's taking up all of the attention, but you know, he'll get used to it. And I mean, it, at the very least, he has that weird cat he hangs out with, so he'll be good. No, dude. So I, I actually saw that cat's owner today. And I was like, hey, like, uh-huh. how's Karma? I haven't seen her in a while. And he's like, yeah, we've had to make Karma an indoor cat because, like, the HOA was complaining about her. And, uh, <laughs> like, she still tries to escape. So she's, like, escaped three <laughs> times. Oh, my God. And, like, remember how hard it was to catch Pogi? Oh, for sure, man. Like, it's it's sometimes hard to catch, catch dogs, but can you imagine trying to catch a loose cat? Oh, no way, man. That's Forget that. <laughs> I would just start over. I would just be like, well, that cat's gone. Let's get a new one. <laughs> right? So, like, Fresh start. The, the yeah. cat has already made three getaways and has been caught three times. Wild. That's, I mean, that's a good, that's good. That's three for three, man. Like, I, I would, like I said, man, I don't, I don't know how you even catch a cat because like they never want to listen to you anyway so you know i have no idea how you do that no me either but that cat is awesome like that's probably the only cat i like it's just a cool cat yeah my fiance is the same way she really hates cats sorry if any of our listeners are cat people i like cats i got no problem with them Uh, my buddy tom has an awesome cat his name is ellington he just chills all the time but i don't know man you know some people just uh have a have a thing against cats i don't know what it is i gotta delve deeper into it but I love them. I'll take them. I'll take cats. I'll take dogs. I'll take fish. I'll take whatever, man. Any, any inanimate, or I shouldn't say inanimate. And would would you take a tiger? <laughs> Be like, uh, I mean, I would. Have you subjected yourself to that show yet? Oh <laughs> uh, God, I mean, I you know, not to be contrarian, I hate it. I cannot stand that show. I know everybody loves it. It's like the new cool thing, and I mean, I don't dislike it because it's. 
the new cool thing. I just dislike it because I just hate reality shows. Joe Exotic creeps me out. It's too much for me, man. I, you know, I've been watching that show Hunters on Amazon Prime. That's the show for me, man. That's that's oh, that's that, the realness. But that, that Nazi hunter show. Yeah, dude, it is good, man. I watched is, the first one and I was it like I'm a history guy and it just yeah. it didn't give me that like historic vibe, even though I know it's well, like loosely based on a true story. Yeah, and I and I know they're they're trying to kind of like kind of like pull the putty and apply it to the way they want. I know it's taking a lot of liberties, but uh I don't know, I just think it's cool. Like I, I like the whole kind of like sort of guy Richie like style, you know, they got going on in some of the episodes and the you know how it interweaves and in the and the and the storylines and stuff. I I really dig it. But uh I mean I'll take anything over Tiger King. I'll watch, you know, my fiance open and close dresser drawers before I want to watch Tiger King. <laughs> I have not watched an episode yet, so I, I feel like I just got to stay strong at this don't point. Don't do it. Yeah, don't don't do it, man. Just don't do it. But uh, um, cool thing we were we were chatting about. I know we wanted to bring up here on the intro just to talk about it a little bit. But um, you know, there's this uh, Metal Sucks article that's kind of making its way around the internet, talking about uh, you know the resurgence of live music when it comes back, saying it might. Uh, not come back until next year. You know, they're saying 2021. Yep. My, my opinion on that article is that, um, you know, obviously it's not the most reliable source metal sucks.net. <laughs> like <laughs> not sure, you know, how, how trustworthy it is. They did say that they based their findings on like a panel that was conducted by the New York times, but, um, okay. it, it doesn't seem too far off, man. Like, you know, I'm looking at like cruise lines because I'm a big cruiser, and yeah. and like for Carnival to keep pushing back their sailing dates and like saying that they're not gonna go until like end of June now, and like you know, obviously Carnival was running cruises up until like they were told that they couldn't anymore. Like even though it was like a good week, mm -hmm. two weeks when people were like, yeah, you probably shouldn't go on a cruise ship. They were still going out, so like they're yeah. gonna go out if they can go out. And oh, sure. for them to to like have a date of like end of June just makes me think that this really could go a lot longer than anticipated. And yeah. like with the the new stuff that's coming out of China, like they've kind of loosened the reins a little bit and mm -hmm. they're starting to see a spike again. So I really think until there's a vaccine that's invented, we we can't really mm -hmm. put a, a day or time on things of like when we're going to go back to normal. No, absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, I, I believe with this is I think that this pandemic is really going to change the way that touring works. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I think a lot of bands are going to try to go back to the old way. And I, and I think going to backfire on them. Uh, so I think what's really going to happen is, you know, we're going to see um, smaller capacity uh, you know, capabilities. So let's say if a room holds 1500 people from now on, they may only put 750 people in there to give people, you know, the capability to, to, you know, be apart from one another. I don't think touring schedules will be as rigorous. I think there'll be smaller tours or if they're longer tours, they'll have a lot of days in between them just to make sure that, you know, band and crew members can get the rest that they need because, you know, being out on tour, I mean, even when you're making a lot of money, it's still, you know, it's, it's a grueling thing. It takes a lot out of you. It lowers your, um, you know, your your 
your ability to be healthy because you got long hours, a lot of sweat, a lot of grime. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a different time. I think a lot of things are going to change. I think uh, the music industry as a whole is going to be, a, a, you know, different when this is all over. Um, you know, I don't I, I think music is going to come back. I mean, I know it is, you know, you're going to have tours and festivals and all that stuff. But I think the way that um, they're built from the ground up, you know, whether it's large scale tours, whether it's, you know, big, you know, big, huge, you know, arena or amphitheater shows or even tours. I think they're just going to have to tweak it so that it makes sense for people in terms of staying healthy, being financially viable and being able to coax people back in. Because, I mean. If you just go right back to the way it was, I mean, like, you you know, you know, the way show and people are crammed together like sardines, sweating on each other. People aren't going to go for that. People, you know, some people will be like, yeah, let's go for it. But a lot of other people are going to be weary about it. So I think it's going to be strategic uh, how it comes back when it comes back. I don't know if 2021 is going to be when it comes back, but, you know, it could be a little earlier than that. But it all just depends on where we are, you know, in, in the world with this pandemic. Yeah. I, I I think you said it well. I think that everything's going to be different. I, I I really don't think it's going to be like, you know, coming back from like a snow blizzard, you know, like where a city might shut down yeah. for a week or so. And then like everyone just goes back to normal and like nothing's different. But this is going to yeah, be it, like a totally different way of sure. life. Like, you know, we might be seeing people walking around in supermarkets wearing masks for for, you know, foreseeable future. Yeah. And I mean, you know, um, even, uh, you know, just to touch upon it briefly, you know, even a place like uh, Disney World, you know, which is right, right in my backyard talking about, um, you know, once the park opens back up, they're going to put in place, you know, wellness checks and temperature checks. And, you know, they won't let you into the park at all uh, if you have a temperature or if you're displaying symptoms of illness. And they're not just talking about like for a couple of months, they're saying like Disney is potentially going to put this in place like. For the future completely like not even the foreseeable future like always like they're going to do this always so um you know it's going to be a, a a completely different world and i think it's silly to think that going back to right back to the way we were is even the right thing because you know that's just going to open us up for new viruses new strains new things that can you know attack us as a human race so we really need to um you know as a as a community kind of get together and figure out what the the right thing is but I think, you know, as a human race, we're smart enough, we're resilient enough that we could do that. Um, and I believe that we will. But having said that, I uh, want to, you know, before we kind of talk about all of this negativity ad nauseum, we do have a very, very cool guest on the show today. We spoke with Russ uh, Rankin from Good Riddance. Uh, totally awesome to get to talk to him. Um, he's been um, in the in the scene for, you know, gosh, probably about 30 years. Uh, the front man of uh, Good Riddance, a, uh, a great punk band uh, out of Santa Cruz, California. Uh, they've toured all over the world, Europe, United States, Japan, Australia, you name it. Uh, they've been on fat records for pretty much their entire career. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have taken a lot of influence from them. You know, the 90s kind of skate punk, hardcore punk scene. Uh, but we talked to Russ, who's also a scout. Uh, you know, a scout uh, for um, was the WHL, I believe, and um, super cool to get to talk to him about, um, you know, his love for hockey, his love for, you know, this job that he does and how he does it and the perspective he has. Talk to him, uh, you know, about his uh, his bands, his experiences he's had, uh, you know, 
and uh, it was super cool to get to talk to him. So we hope that you enjoy our interview with Russ from Good Riddance, also Only Crime as well, another one of his bands. And uh, anything you got to add, Mikey? No, let's just get right to it. So uh, here's Sweet. here's our interview with Russ Rankin of Good Riddance. Enjoy. with our boy Russ of Good Riddance. Russ, man, how are you? Doing all right, guys. How are you guys? Um, you know, as good as you can be during, you know, the craziness that's going on. Uh, I, I'm a fourth grade teacher, so the past couple of weeks, I've really switched over to, like, teaching online, and, and that, that's been a, definitely a learning curve. So, um, you know, at least I'm lucky enough to still have a job and be employed. So. Um, I guess I got to take it take it as I can get it. So uh, h- how is it out in California? Are you guys doing all right out there? Yeah, we're good. Just wish uh, wish there was some hockey to watch. No, definitely. So uh, you, you also work for the WHL, right, as a scout? That's for the Tri-City Americans? Yep. Okay. So... Um, can can you tell us a little about that experience and and you know uh how you made that crossover into the scouting world? Sure. Uh I've been a huge hockey fan for a long time and um didn't start playing until I was an adult. So obviously I wasn't going to be working in hockey as a player, but everybody everybody in my life that knew me was always like, "Man, you you know way too much about hockey. You should be working in hockey and and I was always fascinated with scouting, uh, like the just this picture on my head of like just dudes with notepads hanging out in the rinks, and and uh, I can't remember what what started it, but I, I took an online class like in 2006, I think, uh, from this company called Sports Management Worldwide. So I took an eight week online course, and it was basically teaching you how to be a scout and or a GM in hockey. And it was really interesting. And, you know, we had to do a lot of reading and then they'd send you a DVD of like the RBC cup from the year before. And you had to like do a report on each one player from each team and, wow. and talk to, uh, we would once a week, we had a interactive chat with, with somebody who was an actual scout who worked for ISS international scouting services at the time which funny enough was was a guy named dino caputo who's now on staff with me at tri-city he's, huh. he's our left he's our lethbridge scout sweet um but then so i did that and then 
I was just, it was the right place, right time, because right around that, that time, like mid 2000s, uh, California born players were starting to sort of make their way up to the Western Hockey League. Like one, one or two guys would be up there. Like at that time, there was probably CJ Stretch. Um, I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head from that era, but you know, it was, it was a place where an outlying California player could, could end up because there wasn't a lot of D1 schools out here um, recruiting, like looking for players. Uh, so that was going on. And then I happened to have a friend who was part owner of the Kootenai Ice in the Western Hockey League. And, and I was talking to him about my, the course that I'd taken and stuff. And, and he said, well, let me talk to my GM and see if they see if maybe that you could uh, hook up with them and, and be, be a, be a set of eyes for California would save them having to send anybody down and it would give you a good, a good uh, foot in the door. And so that, that happened. And the Kootenai's GM called me and we talked for a while and, and, and that was that. So like 2007 was my first full season of, of working in the Western hockey league, scouting California. That's kind of where I, when I started. Okay. So have you, so since 2007, have you seen that, you know, hockey has grown in, in California and that you're, you're, you're scouting more and then like going further away from like your, your home base to scout some of these kids. I still do the same thing. Like the, we, we, in the Western hockey league, we, we draft uh, players when they're in their Bantam year, which is 14 turning 15. And we, and usually you're only going to be looking at the best of the best. So like, you know, triple a, is better than double a which is better than single a so i'm going to be looking at bantam triple a teams and in the state there's really only three uh bantam triple a teams junior sharks junior ducks junior kings uh, back when i started there was also a team called the la selects which they folded and they, they kind of joined the junior kings uh, so i would basically be looking for games like b- busy weekends in southern california and i would drive down and go see maybe two or three games or a tournament. Uh, or if there was, you know, easier for me, because I live in Northern California, there was, if there was a tournament or games in San Jose, which is, you know, right in my backyard. Uh, so it was a lot of driving to Southern California, but it's the, my, my, my area, both with Kootenai and now with Tri-City, my area is, is California. So I don't go anywhere else. Got it. Um, so just a quick question for you. Like, um, as a maybe like a microcosm of it but like you know i um i went to school for for music and um you know like i remember getting to play like really big um like big symphonies like you know beethoven and wagner and like all this stuff and um when you are are studious about that kind of thing you start like getting into like kind of needling down big pieces of art to sort of like x's and o's almost like playbooks so like now that you've been a scout for so long, like, do you find that when you're just like watching the game leisurely, like it, does it take away from it? Or do you find that it kind of bolsters your opinion on it? Like, how do you feel about that? I think it's definitely changed the way I watch the game. Uh, I casually, if that's, I think that's what you're talking about. Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not a loud guy at the rink. If I, like, cause I, I go to sharks games a lot and, you know, I'm not the I'm not the yelling and screaming guy. I'm I'm more like the <laughs> watching the way people which direction people skates are pointed in or 
how how a defenseman's gap is or stuff like that. Like I'll, a lot of times, I'll see there's certain players in the NHL that that I like or that I'm curious about, and I'll just sort of watch them a whole shift, even if the, even if the puck's nowhere near them, and just sort of okay. see what they do, see what they do, and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of the same things that that I've learned from scouting. Like I just I can't it's sort of muscle memory when I'm watching sure. the game. So like you can almost like look at like let's just call it like a player that's on like uh like an a level versus like a player that's on like let's say a c level you know even even professionally and you could just look at you know let's say you just watch them on an entire shift and you could just kind of almost sense like their hockey intuitiveness essentially so you can like say you know this guy's moving well this guy's not moving well but at the same time it's almost like you can really see who the real students of the game are you know yeah, it's true. I mean, in, in the NHL, it's it's tough because it, it, you got to be you got to be touched by God to even make it that far. So yeah. everybody, everybody in the NHL uh, is is an exceptional hockey player. Yeah, uh, of so course. More, more, it's more so you see things like, I mean, I, I just as an example, I'll take somebody like like Chris Tierney, who was with the Sharks and is now with Ottawa. Like Chris Tierney you know, scored a ton of goals in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, has amazing hockey sense, plays plays a really smart 200-foot game, and has got a got a, a really nice scoring touch. Uh, but he's a lot, he's a little bit undersized and his skating's not that great. And you know, and that that's why Chris Tierney is is like a bottom six guy. Um so and now in in like in the AHL, he'd be a top six guy. In the in the East Coast League, he'd be your leading scorer. Like it's just how it, it's just how it goes. These guys, as they go up, they're be, they go from being the best player on their team to maybe like the third or fourth best player on a team. And then by the time they're in the NHL, most guys are slotted in way lower than where they played, you know, two three years previous. Because the cream always rises to the top, and there's only so many roster spots. So it's more so it's just degrees. It's not like this guy's a good player, this guy's a bad player. It's degrees for me. Got it. Now, Russ, did you have any um hand in scouting Parker Wartherspoon? No. No. Okay. Just cuz I thought I mean I mean happy that he's with the Islanders organization. Like he was he was a really good player for us. Okay, yeah, cuz he he's a Canadian kid. I I just was wondering yeah. if no, we have scouts. We have scouts all through Western Canada. So I would I would not have seen any. Of the, I don't see any of those players until camp. So the whole staff gets goes to training camp at the end of August every year. So that's usually the first time that I see, um, you know, that year's Canadian kids. I don't see them any other time, unless like every once in a while. Like I remember years ago, uh, the Burnaby Winter Club sent a team down to LA for a for an LA Selects hosted tournament. And that's the team that had Matthew Barzal on it, and and um, what's his name, uh, Cliff Ronning's kid, and another kid that was a, a whose dad was an NHLer. So the Burnley Winter Club came down, and I got to see them play. But that's that rarely ever happens. And and watching Barzell at, at that early stage, could you tell that he had something special? Yeah, yeah, he was just at a whole a whole other level than anybody else just the as far as like his hands and and his like how he he was a step ahead of everybody else on the ice and i thought you know ronning ronning's kid 
is just so small, but he's, you know, has all the same, same skill, but, but Ronnie's kid, you know, he'll, he'll be a borderline pro just because of his size. Gotcha. Now, um, are there any studs on the team this, this, this season that you think could go, you know, first couple of rounds? On the Tri-City Americans? Yeah. It's been a really strange year uh, for, for us. We, we traded a lot of our vets. We have guys who could have played who are, who are pro. Uh, when they're said they're not coming, they weren't coming back. So it was really a lot of, uh, it was a really, it was a really t- challenging season for Tri-City. Lost way more games than we are used to and would, would not have made the playoffs had the, had the season continued. Uh, so it was really, I'm trying to even think of, of, uh, of an O2 that would be, I think, I think we won. I think Christoph Rabic, maybe, but I don't, I don't, I don't even know. Cause this year NHL is drafting O2s. Um, and I can't off the top of my head, even think about our, our O2s. I'd have to look at a roster. Gotcha. And then, um, I guess, uh, one more, more question I have about the WHL is like, you know, obviously Tom and I grew up on long Island where, junior hockey doesn't really make its way in, in into the Northeast. Like I think like the Lake Erie Otters is probably the closest like junior team there is. Um, yeah. I, it seems like it's more common that you see WHL kids getting drafted early. Do you, do you just see like the, the league is like on an upward trajectory? I think it's, I think so. I think the, the Western hockey league, I mean, I know I know all this information because I, I gets drilled into my head, and that's what I used to to tell parents is that the twenty two percent of the National Hockey League comes from the Western Hockey League, so it's the biggest supplier of players to the National Hockey League. Oh wow! Uh, that being said, the you know the OHL and the Q, the Quebec League, they they also you know contribute a, a ton of players. Like th- this year, if you look at a mock draft, it's it's more. OHL heavy than Western Hockey League heavy, but it, it kind of flip flops. It depends. Um, so I think that the West, but the Western Hockey League is always shown really well, especially in like the higher rounds of the draft. I mean, I, a couple of years ago, we had two players on Tri City that went in the first round, and then we had two other players that went later on, and, and all four of those guys are playing pro now. That's huge. And it, and. I know you mentioned the Q, like, but at, like all fans know, like if, if someone puts up like 80, 90 points in the Q, that doesn't really equate to being like a superstar in the NHL. But like, if you put up numbers in the WHL, like it does seem to carry over. At least I've noticed like with the, the players that I've, I've followed. It, it used to be really that way. And I think it's, I think it's evening out a little bit, a little bit more. Like I know what you're talking about. And the Q has the rep, the rep of being more run and gun, and and not a, not a not a real heavy league, not a lot of defense. Um, but I think that it's, I think it's evening out. I mean, your 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 number one overall pick is going to be from the Q this year. Um. So I think that they're, I think they're evening out. Like it's, it's really. I mean, it's too bad that we're not going to get to see the Memorial Cup because that's really the best thing to watch, if you want to know about junior hockey, is watching the Memorial Cup. 
because you're going to get the champions of all three leagues in the CHL and then a host team. Uh, so you really get to see how the leagues stack up against each other in the round robin play. And then the Western Hockey League usually does pretty well. Yeah, awesome. and, and for like the, the guys that are later round picks, that's like when they get to showcase their their talents. And, and you know, that could be the difference between getting drafted or not. It definitely doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to have a good Memorial Cup. But, you know, what, what happens with, with the CHL in general, but like the Western Hockey League, I can tell you, is that there are NHL scouts at every game. Uh, and they may be there to watch player A. But while they're there watching player A, player B sticks out to them. And maybe player B wasn't on their radar before. And so when you never know who's watching. And so I think that there's an opportunity all year long for players to move up or down um, as, in, as, as far as like draft lists for different teams. I mean, I, that's even been my experience where I um, like usually by the by like November, that's when I, you know, we have to submit our first, our first band of draft list is November. And then we kind of tweak them all through the season. And there, there are players that move up and down the more I see them. So I think that Memorial Cup is a good thing. It's a good thing because it happens right at the end. You know, it's like, it's just a couple weeks before the draft usually. So it's a good chance to, to really put your, put an exclamation point on your season if you're a draft eligible player. But it's also an opportunity to fall if you don't have a good if you don't have a good Memorial Cup. Kind of like the World Juniors, like the going into the World Juniors, most scouts would tell you that that Lafreniere is one and Byfield, Quentin Byfield from the Sudbury Wolves is two. And then if you watch the World Juniors, um, Lafreniere was dominant even even after he got hurt, and then Byfield was invisible; like you couldn't find him. Uh, so in, in my opinion, if I'm a scout, like I, I wouldn't go by field two now. I'd probably put a German kid Stitzel at two. Okay, you heard it Sweet. here first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool to have, uh, you know, insight like this. I mean, you know, obviously we've, uh, you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of other, you know, musicians and a lot of people who, who have a love for, for the game, but that really don't have this kind of like, you know, like professional insight, which is really cool. But I just want to kind of, switch it over just to ask you a couple of, uh, of questions about, um, you know, good riddance. And, and sure. uh, so, I mean, one of the first things, obviously um, you, you guys put out thoughts and prayers last year, uh, which is a, a super cool record. And it was um, a cool listen. And uh, as I was going through like your, your discography, I, I, I truly didn't realize that like from 95, like everything you've put out, you've put out on fat wreck, uh, yeah. which is, is like kind of, uh, unheard of these days you don't really see that like loyalty and solidarity with with labels so um like have you ever been approached by any other labels to put out music and like why the decision to stay with fat wreck over all this time we we never got approached by by anybody but a lot of a lot of our peers and friends did but we but we never did and and had we been approached i think that it would have been pretty easy to say no uh, because okay. we were we were always coming from a position where we weren't we weren't trying to to make it in the rock world. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm, I was, I'm suspicious of, of the mainstream rock machine because the mainstream music machine, because I think that punk and hardcore were, were operating for, for decades right under their noses and they never bothered to notice until 
Green Day and, and the Offspring hit, and they thought they could make some money off of it. So I would I would rather stick with with an entity that has been there from the beginning and and is born of that movement and supports it, rather than rather than a, a corporate entity that just is taking a passing interest because they think they could cash in. Sure. No, and and I I, I could definitely understand the ethos, and I think that's um something that you know when when I go back, you know, I'm I'm in my early thirties and like, you know, my experience in, into getting into, uh, into like punk rock and stuff was bands like, you know, Green Day, The Offspring, you know, like Blink-182, that kind of stuff. But from that, uh, I built around it, you know, and I started getting into bands like No Effects and Rancid and like Lagwagon and, <clears throat> and a lot of the, the Fat Wreck and, uh, you know, like, um, that kind of like nineties, you know, West Coast skate punk kind of stuff, which is, which is great. Um, I think it kind of that built my base and then I started getting into a lot of other stuff from there. I kind of splintered out, but um, you know, you guys, you know, with the exception of your, your hiatus, you've really been been doing this for about 25 years, which is, you know, an unheard of period of time to, to be able to do this. Now, obviously, you know, you being a scout and you having that, um, are you, have you kind of been pulling back on, touring as much or are there like some comforts that you need now when you're out on the road versus when you were out on the road like how do you work your scheduling well i think that one of the things that happens to a lot of bands and definitely happened to us is that uh, like guys get married guys get families and so it's no longer like crawling into a van for six to nine months out of the year because <laughs> it's not guys are going to get divorced and fired if, if they do that so that's <laughs> yeah, true we've we've we figured out a, a good kind of a good medium where we have because everybody's got other jobs um mm -hmm. most of the other guys have kids and so we have uh a degree of touring that we're willing to do and okay. our booking agent our booking agent is aware of it so it's like you know no more than whatever long period of time at once uh, we pick our spots a little bit more um and we we plan our schedules. It's just a little more hectic with, with work and jobs and families and stuff, but we were able to make it work. A lot of bands are kind of in the same boat. So we, in our, in our situation, like we're not trying to get to the top of the mountain, really. Like our, I feel like our, our place in music history is, is what it is. And it's, it's set. Uh, we're, we're more just so now, like we, we just love playing shows mm -hmm. and we, our fans are awesome. And so we, just want to play as, as as much as we can given these given these other responsibilities and restrictions uh, and so as far as comforts on the road like we we're pretty we're pretty minimal like we don't really do we don't we don't roll with a huge crew uh, we're usually like a one or two hotel room band and it really doesn't uh -huh. matter where it where it is uh, mm -hmm. like we we're, we're pretty we're pretty easy I would think I think we're pretty easy to to deal with and uh like the fact that we're you know all of us are getting older and we the five years of not playing i think gave everybody a pretty cool perspective on on the band's uh the band's place i think that it mm -hmm. was easy it was easy in the past for me anyway to get caught up in the next show or the next record or how many people came or competing having these stupid like imaginary competitions with other bands yeah about who's who's more successful and i think that 
the cool thing now is like it's just the, the four of us getting to like travel and play play these shows and just look at each other and go man we're fucking really really lucky like we're really fortunate that we get to do this now this it just makes it a lot more fun awesome and we were talking we had an episode uh, uh about a week or two ago that we just dropped uh we were talking with um uh chuck who plays drums in, in simple plan and he was saying that one of his like nowadays one of his tour rituals is like he he wants to he's like a foodie so he goes out and he goes to like really nice restaurants where like the rest of the tour might not do that with him it's, it's just kind of his thing um you know now that you guys are, are kind of you know touring the, the way you want to do you guys make time to fit in things like that when you're on the road like going to you know like specific restaurants or seeing specific sites or even like you know, going to, you know, catch like a hockey game in an arena you might not have been able to go to. Like, do you guys have time to fit that in? Absolutely. Like we, we, I'm not like our Chuck and Luke and my band love, they love nice restaurants. And, and since they're both vegetarian, they'll like find like a recommended spot or like a really, a really rad, like um, vegan or vegetarian place in cities that we play. Um, and then we, I know a couple summers ago we were in Europe and we had a day off in Milan and, and I've been to Milan a million times, but I'd never really seen anything except like the club. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we actually did like crazy touristy stuff and saw it, went to El Domo and toured it and like did all this stuff. And oh, that's awesome. we did, took the time, like we, and then we had another day off in Barcelona, you know, and we, we we walked about 10 miles in a day, like just seeing everything. And it was, it was pretty cool. Like it, back in the day, it was, I was always so um, just caught up in like the grind. Yeah. Not really, not really didn't have the the good sense to like stop and take a look around. And so it's kind of cool to get a chance to do that now. And then the last time we, um, we, we toured not that long ago, uh, the Northwest and we were in Portland and I went to a, um, I'm friends with one of the assistant coaches of the Winterhawks, and so even though they're they're one of our arch rivals, like they're mm. I'm a good you know my buddy is <laughs> was cool enough to leave me a ticket, and and I just you know took an Uber from the club after sound check and went over and watched like two and a half periods of of the Portland Winterhawks game, and then went just went back to the club and played the show. That was Sweet. cool. Yeah, I I think that's such a cool thing, and I mean like you you kind of do see that like when you look at you know, how bands that are like, quote unquote, let's call it breaking in, not necessarily like, you know, breaking into the big time, but that are, you know, at least just trying to to get out there and play to as many people as possible. I mean, you see these grueling touring schedules. I mean, like you got guys, you know, bands that go out for two months and they end up playing, you know, 40 shows over, you know, 46 days. And it's just like, you don't get the opportunities to go out and see anything or do anything. You just see the road where you're going to play, where you rest your head at night and then the road again. So, you know, it's good to know that at, at this, at this level, you, you can actually go out and, and, and really like enjoy things and enjoy where you're going and enjoy your time. And it's a kind of another thing that I wanted to talk about. So I know you guys were slated to, uh, to go out with uh, death by stereo, uh, such called, I think the homeless gospel choir, uh, you guys were going over to Pusa, um, now you guys had played Pusa, I think like 2012, 2013. Does that sound right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, in your experience, I mean, you know, you guys being around for, for such a long time and, and, you know, having played such an, such an expansive music and, and played in 
such an expanse of places. I mean, I know you guys have done Pusa, you've played, the, you know, the Fest, Punk Rock Bowling, obviously Warp Tour. Um, of all of those festival style, you know, engagements, um, which of those like has really given your band the best opportunity to interface with fans and like which festival did you feel really kind of represented your band in the best way? Uh, it's really hard to say. Probably, probably punk rock bowling is, is pretty cool, especially if you're playing one of the club club shows like, and then we do play, uh, we played some pretty cool festivals in Europe that were set up like a atypically and we're, mm -hmm. we're more punk, we're, more, we're sort of more punk than others. Okay. Uh, so it really just depends on, uh, it really depends on the, how the festival is set up and it really depends on what other bands, what, what other bands are there because you spend a lot, it's a long day at a festival and it's, we've played a lot of festivals where we're just sort of like, you know, our European booking agent got us a good guarantee and these festivals have all this money from sponsors. And so you'll find, we'll find ourselves playing like just random, random places with, with bands that, that we would never ever play with otherwise, just like mm -hmm. really weird mix of styles. And then, and so like, those are more challenging. And, sure. and obviously it's, if you, you show it, roll it to a festival and it's like all these bands that you're friends with from back home, like that's, those are those, those are a lot more fun for us because you get to play your show. And then you get to you get to watch your friends' bands play, and then you get to spend most of the day hanging out with people that you know and that you have history with. Awesome, yeah, and I I, I think that's um, you know such a cool thing. I mean, like I've um, you know I've I've had the experience myself of going as a you know as a patron to a couple of these different festivals. I mean, I've done punk rock bowling, I've done skate and surf, I've done you know the fest and all that kind of stuff, and uh, it something about some of those festivals like i you know i wouldn't say it as much maybe for like skate and surf or like some of those more kind of corporate -y ones i guess but like the fest itself you know I, i've been I've, I've done the the fest in gainesville probably five or six times and there's just something about it that always seems like special to me in terms of the kind of um like access that you get to some of these musicians that you really care about and revere and they have special performances and all that kind of stuff so i always think that that's such a cool thing that you know these musicians get to get to play and they, you know, they not only are they, are they, you know, paid well and made whole, hopefully usually, but um, it's just cool that we get to interface in that way. So I think that's something about that, that I, I really enjoy from that perspective. Yeah. We've played the fest before. It was a lot of fun. Really cool. Yeah. It's, it, it's a super cool place. And then one, one last question, I'm um, going back to, um, you know, such gold and uh, the Holmes gospel choir. I mean, so like, I wouldn't say that they're like, super new bands but they're kind of newer in the scope of have having not been around as long as let's say you guys are death by stereo um so in terms of like you know taking out bands that are a little newer and and kind of have a little bit of growing to do um when you guys were just kind of starting out you know good riddance that is do you remember like a specific tour that you guys were on where like someone with more experience or someone that was kind of had their footing in the industry, like took you guys out and almost like showed you the ropes, like kind of deal. Oh yeah. That's happened. That's happened for us numerous times. I, I think in 96, we went to Europe with, with no effects in the vandals. And that was, we'd already been to, we'd done one 
co-headlining tour of Europe before with Tilt the year before, mm-hmm. playing like playing like squats and youth centers, and then we did this tour with No Effects of the Vandals, and we played really big clubs, and and it was on it was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to learn from. I mean, I learned a lot from watching No Effects crew, on, honestly, just about oh, wow. pre- pre- preparing for a show and like just the because you know No Effects shows a lot of times are, are just sort of silly and and irreverent and yeah so i don't know how i don't know what the prep for a show like that would be but um just being part of a production that was like it was the first time we'd ever been playing shows on that scale you know like thousands of people at the venue and really big clubs and security and barricades and staff and like all, all of that and then the biggest example for me and i think if you asked the other guys they would say the same thing would be sick of it all who time and time again and took us under their wing and took us on tour and we're willing to like you know even though our band isn't isn't necessarily like a hardcore band the way they are mm. sick of it all was really was really interested in branching out their their audience and being exposed to some different people and they were they've always been i mean i'm talking like from like 1998 the first time we toured with them they took us to australia for our first time in new zealand all the way up until like, you know, last year when we did a grip of shows of them in Spain, where they just were, I mean, they're, we've become good friends with them, but they're so gracious. And I learn so much from the watching the way that they go about their business on tour, as far as like how seriously they take it and how much their, the show means to them for their fans. Um, but also that they, they're super fun to hang out with. Like they're not just like all business. They, they take it seriously and they, they take the preparation for it seriously, but they're also uh, fun to hang out with at the club all day. And they put on such an amazing show still all these years later. Like it's, it really makes as a support band, it makes us step up our game. Like, like we, we have to really like, um, there's a there's a feeling that we don't want to disappoint anybody, you know, like go up on stage and, and like sick of it all's fans are are used to like are used to like some serious wreckage happening mm-hmm. yeah. and sick sick of it all are there and they're you know they may be watching us play and and so it's I I think I've learned the most from from that band. Okay, awesome. So um I I guess um I want to ask you about um, how Sanias Apergy approached you for that athletic piece that she did. And like, were you already aware of like the huge crossover between the punk rock world and, and the hockey world? I was aware of, of it, you know, here and there. Like I know I would, I would, if I, we would play with bad religion at the festival back when Greg Hudson was still in the band and we would talk hockey or uh, I know that, that Chris from Anna flag, you know, he and I have talked hockey a bunch of times. And if somebody got traded to the penguins that I thought was a chump, like I would text him and like give him a hard time. Um, <laughs> and I remember, I remember in 2000, the, we went to Europe and did a, did a, it's called a, a deconstruction tour. So it was like a big festival tour in Europe and the devils were, were, were when I left for Europe, they were down three games to one to the Flyers in the conference finals. And 
but they and and, so, and back then like i didn't have a cell phone i didn't have a computer or anything it's 2000 and if you're lucky like your tour manager had a laptop and so no effects was headlining that tour and their tour manager kent had a laptop and like i remember a couple days into the tour he's like hey the devil's uh devil's won they they're not out of it yet and and then like they ended up coming back and winning that series against the flyers and and then they were in the finals against Dallas. And so every day Kent would sort of be like, like uh, telling me what was going on with the hockey. And then I remember we were at a festival in Germany and I knew it was the day that, that uh, the devils like, could have, could have clinched the cup. And I was, you know, I'm at, but I'm just walking on this festival. And then Darren, the drummer of Goldfinger comes up to me. He's like, he's like, Hey man, you're a devil's fan. Right. And I was like, yeah, he goes, they just won the cup and he kind of slapped me on the shoulder and walked away. And, uh, and I was like in this middle of this German festival and I was so pumped, but there was like nobody there that like gave a fuck or like that I could tell. <laughs> right. And so I was just sort of like just standing there in this German field, like being stoked, but like, it was weird. It was a really weird experience, but like, yeah, Darren, Darren loves hockey. He's a huge Sabres fan. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I know, I know some guys that I've met, uh, especially touring Canada, like, talking hockey with like the Belkies when they were still in SNFU. Um, I pretty much everybody I'd meet in Canada, even though they were punk rockers, like down deep, they, they all had like hockey. They could all talk hockey with me. And uh, so it was, I, I always, to me, it, like hockey is, is, is fast and it's violent and it's colorful. And, and I think punk is those three things also. So I think there's a definitely a, if if a parallel hasn't been made, it should have been. Um, but th those are things that like really attracted me to both of those, to both of those things. Uh, and then also like finding out that some some players like like that like players that like punk rock and like so having guys like, I mean we played a show in Montreal and Jose Theodore came and played a song and guitar with us and they did a stage dive like he he loved our band and. Oh, that's awesome because but, Chuck from Simple Plan basically shared like a very similar story how Theodore hit him up and was like, Hey, I'm a huge Simple Plan fan. Like, I'd love to play with you guys. And like, yeah, the, the Montreal media just like totally blew that up. Like, it was like Theodore's night, but it was really Simple Plan's like big release night. And <laughs> it was just, yeah. Funny yeah, story. no, no. Jose, Jose loves punk rock. He loves all that stuff. Um, most of the guys that, like most of the guys on in Tri City, like our players, for example, like they like they listen to like country or some weird, weird other stuff. But um, every once in a while, I'll I'll be at the rink scouting and I'll get I'll get what I call recognized. Where like I'm, <laughs> I'm there, I'm in my I'm in my track jacket and my my work, you know, my slacks and my my casual like working guy shoes, and I'm all about business. And then some someone's dad will be there like for a public skate, like. Oh, dude! I listened to your music when I was younger. You're so rad. Like taking selfies of me, like that. Ha that's happened. Or I've been in tournaments where uh, we had a song on one of the NHL uh, EA Sports games, I think, several years ago. And it's 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 on a lot of like hockey playlists. And so I'd be I'd be at a tournament, you know, and a stoppage of play, and then like a good written song comes on. But no one, no one really, you know, I'm the only one that really knows. It's, yeah, I was uh, I was on NHL 07, I think. Yeah. I'm trying Something to I'm like, like trying to think of like the lineage of like, and it's funny because like um, 
So I, I feel like in the mid two thousands, the uh, the NHL like EA series games like had some like really like cool like punk rock songs on them. But like now, like I I, I dated myself uh, on our last episode because like I I have like NHL seventeen. Like I you know I I haven't yeah. bought a new NHL game, but like a lot of the tracks on like these newer NHL games are all like kind of like pop tracks. And I mean and and, that, and that's fine. But it's just like I don't I don't see how the game has moved from alternative to like not quite alternative. Cause like, I feel like the parallel is still there, but um, I, you know, I, I always think it's cool because when you get exposure from like being on like a soundtrack, like all of a sudden, you know, some guy who's just a hockey fan, like throws this game on and all of a sudden your, your song, your song comes on and it's just like, Oh wow, this is dope. Like I never thought to listen to this. And like, I'm pumped about to play this game and then you hear it a bunch more times and then you actually go and check it out. So, I mean, it's, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool little way to get some extra ears onto, uh, you know, what you guys are doing for sure. Yeah. Now, um, you clearly have mentioned that you are a big devils fan. How, how did that come about as a, as a kid, you know, raised in California? Well, I, I was, my introduction to hockey was was the nineteen eighty Winter Olympics. I was very very young, but I remember it, and that's that's what made me fall in love with hockey. And then living in Northern California, there were no there wasn't an NHL team. Uh, there was just the LA Kings at down you know six hours down south, and uh, so I would try to watch hockey whenever it was on TV. And and I remember like ninety eighty seven or eighty eight. Uh, I was watching ESPN used to show like three or four NHL games a week. And for some reason that year, it just seemed like the devils were always on. And up until that point, the devils had been, they had never made the playoffs. They were kind of a joke early on. So it was 87, 88. They had Jim Schoenfeld was their head coach was his first head coaching job. They had this goalie named Sean Burke, who was a rookie, really tall, lanky guy. And they had, um, Mark Johnson, who had been on the 1980 Miracle on Ice Olympic team. They had Kirk Muller, Pat Verbeek, Brendan Shanahan, uh, the Swedish player named Patrick Sundstrom. They just had a really interesting cast of characters on the team, and they were real scrap, like scrappy. Um, I mean, the whole league was more scrappy back then, but I just got, because I was watching these games on ESPN and the Devils seemed to always be on, I, just, I started like noting the players' names. And they had the green and red uniforms, which I thought looked cool. And so I was just watching that season. I remember like, like, oh, the devil's run again. Like, I know that guy. Like, I recognize that player. And, and um, they were fun to watch. That, that particular team was really fun to watch for me because they had skill, but they had a lot of, uh, you know, they played a real rough style of hockey too. And then Sean Burke was just playing really, really well. This rookie goalie they had. And, and then it came down to the end of the season. And so the Devils, they had never made the playoffs in their history. And they were, it was the last day of the season. And they were in Chicago. And if they, if they won the game, they would sneak in as the eighth seed in the, in the Wales conference. And if they had lost or tied, they, would, they, would be at, they wouldn't make it. And I remember they were trailing late. They were trailing late in the game. Darren Pang was the goalie for the Blackhawks. And John McClain scored the tie of the game late. And then John McClain scored again in overtime. 
and he did a little like mini Bobby Orr jump when he did it. <laughs> and uh, so then they they made they they got in the playoffs like they snuck in the last day of the season, and then they upset the Islanders and then they upset the Capitals in the next first two rounds of the playoffs, and then then they took Boston to seven games in the conference finals, and that was the that was the Don Koharski incident where Jim Schoenfeld told him to have another donut. And um, shoved him, in the, shoved, shoved him in the. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Like Jim no, Sean. No, I don't remember that so story. Don, Don, Don Kohorski was was the head referee in one of the games against Boston in the conference finals, and and they, Jim Schoenfeld, the Devils coach, confronted him in the hallway after the game, and they got this big shouting match, and the press was there, and there was cameras there, and Jim Schoenfeld said, "Why don't you have another donut, you fat pig?" And shoved, him, <laughs> shoved Don Koharski and uh, the league back then there was no there was no president there was um, John Ziegler was the head of the league but he was like he was an idiot like he didn't know what he was doing and nobody nobody from the league could be reached for comment the league took no action and the referees were like well we don't feel safe uh, so we're not gonna we're not gonna uh, we're not gonna officiate the next game in the series wow and and so the so they got they went to local rinks and they got like they got like youth league or men's league referees to come and, and officiate a, a conference final game between the Devils and the Bruins. And these guys had yellow windbreakers. They didn't have like the regular official stuff. They just came out and had yellow windbreakers officiating a, a Stanley Cup finals game. And it was a it was a total gong show. It was just like brawls and line brawls and fights. And it was a, a nightmare. Uh, but Boston ended up finally winning that series and went on to to lose in the Stanley Cup Finals to Edmonton that year. But but by then I was hooked, you know, like all that stuff that had happened and how they got into the playoffs and then upsetting two teams that were supposed to just cream them and then taking Boston to seven games plus that whole thing with Don Koharski. Like it was after that I was in. See yeah. the little the little things you learn. Like I so when you when you're talking about this, like I'm just like oh let, let me just like look it up just to get some perspective on this. Uh, and I'm reading about it, and as it turns out, so I guess um, uh, Schoenfeld ends, ends up getting suspended for Game 5, and who steps in for him? Lou Lamoriello. Yeah. Right. That, and it's, so that, that was the, this was the first year Lamoriello was there, as it turns out. And, this was and, this Lamoriello's first year as GM. That's, and that's so funny, because we, we you know, it, it comes full circle, because me and Mikey, as, as I'm sure you might have you know, chatted about, you know, we're, we're huge Islander fans. And, uh, uh, but I, I, that aside, man, like, I just like, I, I love that. I just love that. You know, you, you remember all that so vividly. Um, I, I think it's great because it's just, you know, a lot of people, you, you move across the country and, and, you know, your perspective changes and you end up, um, you know, losing sight of what you, what you're, kind of fell in love with the game in for the first place, but you didn't do that. And I mean, you're still a devil's fan and I think that's an, an, an awesome thing, but I mean, being over on the, on the West coast, I mean, like, did it ever, did it ever even get dicey for you? Like, uh, maybe like, maybe I, I I'm, I'm into the sharks or the Kings or was it just like, nah, screw it, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a devil's fan through and through. No, I'm, I'm a devil's fan. Like I, when the sharks came, you no, know, I, I have season, I've had, had season tickets since, since 93 for the Sharks. Mm-hmm. So when that, unless they're playing the Devils, though, that one, that one game a year, like I root for the Sharks. Um, okay. I, I, I see them a lot. I, I watch their games on the road on TV and stuff. Um, but 
I mean, I, I watch as much Devils as I can too, and I usually know. I usually I'm up on the Devils more than I'm up on the Sharks as far as like have, players and stuff like that. Do you have one of Do you have the uh, like one of those NHL.com like uh, subscriptions so you can watch all the games or like? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So That's, I watch on my the Apple TV or on my iPad or whatever. Sweet. That's one of the things I want to like make an investment in. You know, I uh, I moved from Long Island uh, to Orlando about two years ago. And like, I never have the opportunity to, to watch games. And it's one of the things that like, I'm always like, yeah, like I'm going to make the investment and then I don't. But, um, you know, the more and more, like, I, I just think about it, like the more and more I'm doing a disservice to myself by not being able to actually watch the games, like it can throw it on, listen to it on like the radio or over a stream, but it's just like, you know, with all this technology, like I should just pull the trigger and be able to see it. So I don't know. You make Plus, a convincing if argument. You're, if you're, if you're an Isles fan, and you're not watching Matthew Barzell, like you're doing it wrong. You gotta. Yeah, man. I mean, like you gotta I'm, get it. I, I can hear, I can hear about him, but I really gotta gotta watch him because I mean, you know, the the finesse is just outstanding, man. He's yeah. uh, he's something else. He really is. So one one last quick question. I, I just want to kind of hit you with. Um, so I mean, we've done a lot of uh, you know talking about good riddance, but obviously you know you all you were all also in uh, in Only Crime, yeah. uh, which is a, a great band as well. And I know. Um, it was kind of like a a conglomerate of like a, a couple of guys that were in Bane and then, uh, uh, you know, Bill Stevenson from uh, Descendants. So uh, uh, I, I, as a drummer myself, it's like I, listening to Descendants records in like the late 90s when I get, like got into them was like I'd never heard someone really with like the kind of speed and, and finesse as, as Bill had. Um, so like, what was the experience, you know, with him behind the kit playing songs with you? I mean, like, versus anything you'd ever done. Uh, it's definitely surreal. It was surreal to, uh, to like turn around and practice and there's, there he is yeah, know, right. Ri- ri- writing songs with him. Like it was, it was a lot of fun because, you know, he, he and I have history cause he's produced, had produced good riddance albums before. And, and he, you know, I, I love the descendants and all, but I but I really love Black Flag. And so I would always have him tell me Black Flag stories and Sure. Yeah. And we like writing writing songs with for Only Crime, like it was kinda cool because Bill Bill and I have sort of the same uh like Rolodex of like punk rock terms and like mm-hmm. people. So like he would he would be like for a drum party he'd be like, Do I do like do i do earl or do i do the robo so like he would mention like these these things and i would know exactly what he's talking about and like the <laughs> fact that the fact that that he's asking me what he should play on drums is just it's pretty strange and pretty <laughs> inter- interesting yeah like I, that, that last that last only crime album that we that we did pursuance like i still listen to it and i think it's i just think it's incredible the stuff that bill played um you know not not a young man anymore but still oh yeah just just killing it like it's not even not even just like how hard he hits and how fast he plays but like some of the some of the parts that he wrote for himself that were really really challenging uh, because he wanted he wanted to you know he felt like he had unfinished business with black flag like he wanted to write more stuff like that and it was really kind of consider myself fortunate to have been able to be part of that that's awesome, man. I, I, I just, I, I always love hearing that because, um, like I said, he's, he's one of those guys that like I've listened to, you know, ad nauseum and, and just 
the way he plays and his nuances, but still like just the, how hard he hits and, and how he's able to just like uh, play such kind of like constructive stuff and, and just play it on a dime. is just super cool. So I just wanted to kind of get a little bit of uh, your experience with that just because like, why not, man? Like I, I'm, I'm never going to play with Bill Stevenson. So I might as well ask when I get the opportunity. Yeah. No, he's <laughs> awesome. Sweet. All right, Russ. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. It's been almost an hour now, so uh, I'm sure you got way better things to do than just talking with me and Tom. So uh, we really do appreciate this, and uh, it's been so much fun to just like hear about your experiences working for the you know the WHL and Tri City Americans, and you know your historic career at Good Riddance. So you know it's been absolutely a pleasure having you on. Thank you guys so much. It's been awesome. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. Have a nice Hey man, uh, you know it was awesome uh, getting to talk to to Russ. Uh, super cool, really getting to know. I mean, for me, you know, the the music side, just kind of like learning a little bit more about, you know, how uh, when he they got taken on tour. You know, they talked about getting uh, going out with sick of it all, and how they were, uh, you know, extremely influential and in kind of teaching them really how to be a band, like teaching them some of the, you know, the other sides of it, and kind of showing them the ropes on how to, you know, conduct themselves and. Uh, you know, how to be part of a crew and stuff. So I, I thought that was really super cool. Um, you know, it's it's always cool to, to get to hear that side of it because, you know, that's not something that I've ever experienced. You know, I've only really, you know, done, you know, like a tiny tour or two, but, you know, getting to kind of learn that side of it, stuff that you never really think about, uh, you know, other than going to see these bands on tour is, uh, is a really cool perspective to learn. Because it, it really is so much more than just like being a, a dope musician. like the whole touring mm-hmm. aspect and how to be a touring musician is different than someone that's like fundamentally good at like playing their instrument. Oh, absolutely. And like, I, you know, same goes for like teaching. Like I went to college for four years and learned like all the philosophy around teaching and all that. And then like, mm-hmm. I feel the only like real, like, um, I guess like stuff that I apply in my day-to-day teaching was taught in student teaching mm-hmm. like everything i learned was sure. during that like semester where i actually was in the classroom like working with a veteran teacher and that's kind of like what yeah. what russ was saying like you, you learn from the, the guys that have done it in the past and they show you the ropes and that's like the most mm-hmm. like i guess uh effective learning practice you can have absolutely i 100 percent agree and then uh 
super cool, um, you know, getting to learn a little bit more about how he got into, you know, becoming a scout. Um, you know, I thought that was super interesting as well. Dude, like that is that's got to be a dream job. I, I always talk about like oh, some, sure. some of like the cool stuff that like our guests do outside of the music world. And some some of our like mm-hmm. guests have like pretty cool jobs and being a, yeah. a scout for junior hockey has to be up there as one of the coolest jobs like getting paid to watch hockey and like study the game you kidding me that's that's like a mm-hmm. dream and oh yeah for sure i didn't realize that that's something that you could even do if you weren't like a dope hockey player to begin with like i thought that yeah people that were professional scouts were former players at a high level so i might just be sending my resume out to the charlotte checkers like hey i'm this guy that runs a hockey podcast let me scout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you, you totally could. I mean, it's like, um, you know, I mean, what about Hans, you know, like from the Mighty Ducks? Like, <laughs> he just like owned like an ice hockey store. But like, all you know, he was like kind of a scout, too. I mean, I guess that's all you got to do, right? Oh, man, that's such such a great reference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, I mean, it, it's it is super cool because like, you know, if you obviously like you can learn to be a scout, you know, you can learn to do anything, but I think to do that kind of thing with aptitude, you really have to have um, a deep love for, for the sport and a deep understanding of it, uh, which you could tell just talking to Russ, he definitely does. Um, You know, that kind of pedigree, it seems like it's in his blood. Um, And I think, you know, to be good at that, you at least have to have that. Like you can, you know, get as many DVDs and books as you want and, and learn about something, but to really put it into practice and do it well, you've got to have an appreciation for it. And I think we could both say that Russ has that for sure. And I think he 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 takes some pride in scouting like kids coming up in the California area, like California, not traditionally yeah. like a hockey market. And he's, sure. he's he's watching the game grow right before his eyes. And like, you know, he's, yeah. you know, beach communities and and california communities that you don't Mm -hmm. really you think of like the professional roller hockey that's what i think about but like california but you know california right yeah it's cool that you know the game's growing and he's he's putting like a stamp on it like he's part of that yeah absolutely and uh you know and not only you know talking about the pride he has in it but you could also tell that just being a student of the game and being able to just, you know, watch professional hockey. And, you know, as he said, you know, these guys are, are, are really one in a million. They're diamonds in the rough, you know, coming from their hometowns, they're the studs. And then they get into the NHL and some of these guys are just kind of middle of the rotors, um, you know, now, but I think that's such a, a wild thing. I mean, like you think about that, you know, of all of the, you probably tens and thousands of people that want to play hockey and, you know, the small minute amount of people that actually make it to the dance, you know, his part in all this is, is integral. You know, it's really important because he makes the calls on which guys have it and which guys don't. And, you know, from there he makes the recommendations and some of these guys, you know, move on to doing great things. Absolutely. So I guess moving on from, our dope interview with Russ, I guess we can just kind of catch our listeners up, you know, what we've been doing the past week, uh, had another solid trivia night, eighties and nineties trivia, trivia, 
and uh caitlin yeah. and i did pretty well except once you got into like 80s tv and 80s music like god yeah. i i hate to say it like yeah 80s music sucks 80s movies suck <laughs> like i i i've gone back like caitlin and i just uh watched risky business business the other night because like that's like yeah, a movie sure. that everyone says you need to watch yeah terrible like weird train sex and, scene and, like that was just weird you know so the 80s you gotta like you gotta look at the 80s for what it is i mean it was like you know so if the the 60s was a huge period in in branching out to things that were like more secular and more out there you know, from like, you know, the 50s, kind of like, you know, homely, the woman wears the apron, the man, you know, wears the tie, you know, whole idea going into the 60s where, you know, it was all about free love and all that stuff. You know, the 80s kind of was like, it was experimental, it got a little geeky, it got a little nerdy, but some of it has so much charm. It's like, you know, I look at a movie like, uh, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right, which is like one of my favorite movies. And I mean, that movie is just like such a nod to like what the eighties were, which was just like all like the little stupid, like technology that Ferris had and like all of his little like stunts and games and, and tricks that he pulled. I mean, it's just like, it's all about kind of being goofy. I mean, you know, you look at back to the future, you know, you look at like a lot of these movies, like they were built to be that way. So I don't share your hatred for eighties music and movies. I actually like it. I mean, I don't like it as much as I like 90s stuff because you know, that was really where I grew up. But um, I can still appreciate it. Not so much me. Like, I love John Candy. <laughs> so, like, John Candy movies. Okay. Fantastic. And yep. that might be it, man. Like, the rest the rest is kind of tough, man. Caitlin went through, like, a phase where she's, like, like, loved 80s movies and made me watch all, like, the 16 Candles and, all, and Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. And, and I just... Uh, high fidelity and all those movies yeah, yeah for sure yeah. not for me but hey man I, listen i know, crushed the 90s strokes man. for sure i got every 90s yeah, question did you? right oh yeah and and i mean specifically like i we I, I had cultivated those trivia questions to make them easier than usual because you know a lot of the other trivia nights we did you know questions were a little bit more tricky they're a little bit more kind of dig deeper so i wanted to do something that was just very much on the level and on the surface and we'll probably as we do more of them, we'll do ones like that. But I really enjoy cultivating questions that are a little bit more tricky, other that are a little bit more savvy, and that really like kind of ask you to dig deep in your mind to find like some of those answers of things you might not have thought about in a long time, and just really digging up your memories and stuff. But um, you know, hopefully, sometime in the next you know week or two, we can uh, do our, uh, our our bar down breakdown. Um, you know, alternative and hockey trivia, which I'm looking forward to. So, you know, keep your eyes out for that. We'll uh, we'll start to cultivate that and maybe get some feedback from all of our listeners and see how you'd want it to be formatted. But I'm I'm totally game to do something like that for sure. All right. Yeah. So I guess, Tom, let's uh, wrap this up and tell people where they can find us, where they can listen. And uh, yeah, sure. We'll go from there. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, as as always, you know, we're uh, we're at bardownbreakdown.com. That's our, our new website where you can catch uh, all of our archived episodes, all of our info. Um, you can catch us at um, Bardown Breakdown on Instagram and on Twitter at, at BDBD Podcast. Mikey's on Twitter at uh, Isles Meetups, and I'm at Thomas underscore Vicario. 
you can listen to the show wherever you love to listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, Overcast. I mean, there's a million places you could do that. And of course, don't forget to interact with us, comment. We want to hear your feedback on how the shows are, the content you like, you don't like. Subscribe, share, you know, like all of our, our all of our content. Um, give us love whenever you can. And, um, you know, obviously we wouldn't be able to do it if we didn't have you guys listening. So we do appreciate you uh, listening and sharing and all the feedback you give us. So uh, we really do appreciate you. And then um, uh, I got to pick the um, uh, what are we calling this segment? Did we decide? What did the downtown used to call it? Like they they used to have a showcase every year. What was it? They will be huge. Is that what they called it? Uh, I don't remember. But I mean, we could just call it like. The I was gonna try to think of something that has to do with the downtown, but like I, I can't really think of something off the cuff. But um, for right now, until we figure out what it's gonna be called, I'm just gonna call it Tom's Music Pick of the Week. And <laughs> on that note, uh, the band that I've picked is this awesome, awesome band. Uh, they're putting out a new record this Friday. Um, on um i'm not sure what label it's coming out on but um uh the band is called dry jacket they are from new jersey super awesome uh they had a record come out a couple of years ago on hopeless and now uh, their new record uh, is going to be coming out on friday song i've chosen is called surf party usa it is not a surfing song but it is a dope song so uh, i hope you guys give a listen and i hope you guys enjoy it uh, really love these guys, and one of these days, um, hopefully, we can uh, get them on the pot or something. So, uh, Surf Party USA, Dry Jacket, their new record comes out on Friday, and I hope you enjoy. So, Tom, I I listened to the song, and uh, are are you leaning more towards like indie music lately? You you definitely have been like in that vibe. It depends, man. Like I um I go all over the place. And I've been listening to a lot more music since I've been staying home, uh, you know, and getting my my palate into a lot of different things. So um, I wouldn't say I'm leaning towards indie music, but, you know, certain bands just kind of catch me in a certain way. And Dry Jacket is one of them. Um, they're a great band. They really are. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of all over the place, I'd say. All right. Touche. Well, Tom, Touché. it's been real. Uh, yeah, man. I'll let you go. So peace be with you. And also with you, toodaloo. Sitting in my car in the driveway, pulling hours ago. Thinking on what things went wrong, and sister, I don't know. The eyes
just calm down.